from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, I'm very honored and privileged at the opportunity that I have right now. We've been going around the country speaking with commissioners representing collegiate athletics, and the Big South is up next here today. The Big South here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora with Kyle Kalander joining us, the commissioner of the Big South Conference this morning live, and I feel a very uh, honored to have this opportunity to speak with him inside of the Cafe Kubal studio. So let's bring him onto the broadcast and get a true feel for what the Big South is all about, as well as discuss many of the pertinent topics to collegiate athletics today. Kyle, how are you doing today? Dan, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And, and, and Kyle, for you, I mean, no big deal as a commissioner. You're just going through name, image, and likeness, a pandemic. It's been a pretty, uh, pretty easy year and a half for you. So <laughs> how has... Uh, how have you navigated the the world, all jokes aside, of of you know being a commissioner who has your normal day to day five hundred things to do? You need twenty five hours, and you only have twenty four, and then put <laughs> name, image, and likeness on top of that. Put a pandemic on top of that. Scheduling changes and shifts, and trying to move sports into different seasons. How have you navigated the very strange waters that we've lived in for the last year and a half? Yeah, well, it's certainly been a bit of a challenge. You know, and I think it's really too bad that we've had two major and critical and really um, industry-changing issues that have uh, come in on top of this pandemic and name, image, and likeness and, and transfers uh, because they really are critical. Uh, not that outcomes would be any different potentially, but certainly you'd have more time to uh, uh, to immerse yourself in those issues, I think. Um yeah, you know, the, the pandemic, it, I, honestly, um, when it hit last spring, uh, I don't know that I handled it very well. I mean, I just I just couldn't believe um, that we were going through what we were going through. Uh, and um, even though I had disagreement about the way things were kind of playing out, it was, uh, it was more about, um, you know, we're supposed to be here trying to, you know, provide the best opportunities we can for our student-athletes to participate and uh, to make it a meaningful part of their collegiate career and, and higher education experience. And there weren't any opportunities. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything was, everything was canceled. And I just felt really bad for the student-athletes. Uh, I felt that, um, you know, I just somehow wasn't able to do my job because we just we were taking such a, a sharp turn uh, away from, from what we were all hired to do. And then, of course, we started focusing on, you know, what what is it we needed to do to provide those opportunities moving forward and how can we get back to it eventually and how can we, you know, have a safe environment for everyone and, and the Big South, like like others, you know, really pulled together. And I thought we did a, a great job, uh, quite frankly. And ultimately, we, we played over 95% of our scheduled contests, you know, which we felt really good about and did it in a very safe, safe way. And so... Uh, but it was it was really a challenge for a long period of time, and I think you know, I don't think commissioners were immune to mental health issues around the pandemic that um, everybody else was going through. Um, we we're all trying to figure out how to deal with this and and how to adjust our thinking and our day to day away from 
uh, solving athletics uh, problems and higher education problems to now pandemic problems. And uh, so we certainly all learned a lot more about um, about those areas than we ever thought we would or, or hope to again. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's the thing is, you know, having to go through something, something that, that nobody was prepared for and how could you truly prepare for it? And, and to, to have to do that, I mean, I thought I find it interesting and, and uh, beautiful and poetic in the sense of the fact that, you know, you very honest when I just asked you that question, you said, I, I don't I don't know if I handled it well. Uh, go a little, you know, a little bit deeper into that. What what do you feel like you could have done better? And and, you know, just I, I'm I'm just moved by the fact that, you know, I think when people are 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 honest and really, you know, take a good hard look at themselves, I think this world is lacking personal responsibility. And I think it's lacking that, you know, hey, where can I be better? Where can I improve? So I find it very unique and special and the sign of a good leader to say, hey, you know, I think I could have done better. So where could you have done better? And, and why do you feel that way? And, and please, please understand the uh, the compliment of that, Kyle, that I don't think a, a lot of people, especially adults in this world would come on to a broadcast show and, and, and say, hey, you know, I, I think that I, I can evolve from here. I think that that's a, that definitely shows the content of your character. And, and it shows uh, who you consider yourself and, and what you expect out of yourself and the people that work for you. So I, I think, you know, first and foremost, that's a beautiful thing that I commend you on. And secondly, I'd love for you to expand on it a little bit. Well, I appreciate that. I, you know, it's, it's way too complimentary, but, um, you know, I, I, just, I just fought it for a while. I, I fought it. I said, this is not what we should be doing. This is not the direction we should be going. We, you know, there's other ways to do it. There's, you know, can this really be that we are canceling, you know, everything uh, for the rest of the spring and who knows for how long. And, and so I am just, you know, I was you know, and obviously just internally fighting and I wasn't doing, you know, I certainly understand the reality of things and, and the fact that we needed to, figure out ways to move forward but it was just you know internally i was just kind of fighting it and so it kind of just took me a while to really accept okay this is where we are this is what we're dealing with um let's figure out you know how to serve our membership the best way we can because certainly they were going through all the same things and and how can we support them and 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 as as best as we could you know, get back at to, um, to providing those opportunities. I mean, we were, you know, I think that's probably reflected a little bit in that we were probably one of the last conferences uh, when we got to August to say, okay, we're going to have to call it off for the fall. Um, we tried to hang on as long as we could, but, um, uh, you know, just at the FCS level, uh, in football anyway, uh, you know, there's there's smart conferences that we're moving forward with it. So, you know, we had to, we had to kind of, kind of go along with that. And you, you look back and you say, you know, would, would you have done it differently? You know, I would have, yeah. I mean, I think, I think if we as FCS uh, could have come to a place where we felt like we could have a season in the fall and football in a safe way, similar to what FBS did, you know, I would have liked to have done that, but yeah, that's all 2020 hindsight. So, um, so yeah, I think it was just it just it just took me a while to really accept that we were where we were and we had to figure out how to move forward. Yeah, you know, speaking here with Kyle Kalander, the uh, commissioner of the Big South Conference, and, and and Kyle, like you said, you know, I mean, you kind of look around and, and you saw uh, what you know what other people are doing, and you were trying to hold on and whatnot. How difficult was that? You know, because I think what I learned, which I 
you know, almost 18 years of broadcasting and, and, and always, you know, my whole life being around sports beyond that, I didn't know to the, to the extent that what we learned this this past, you know, couple of years, which was, you know, especially in football, that there was no unified message. There was no like NCAA says this is what we're going to do. It was like every conference for itself. There were conferences that didn't play. There were conferences that did play. There were conferences that played but told their teams they didn't have to. There was teams that played that the conference said you could, but we're not going to play as a conference. I did not know how wild, wild west it could be in collegiate athletics. Were you start? I mean, obviously you're a commissioner, so you're within this, but were you startled by that? Or how, what are your thoughts on the fact that, you know, there, there was no unified message and unified this is what we're all going to do. It was each conference to decide for themselves, which as a commissioner, I'm sure could create a lot of stress for you in trying to figure that out. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say I was startled, um, but that certainly was one of the one of the challenges that we had. And obviously, um, you know, our institutions aren't as large. We don't have medical centers as part of our universities, and so the information that we're relying on and the expertise we're relying on is much different than, than some others. And, and so in certain ways, you're looking to the NCAA, you're looking to what the major conferences are doing because of the resources they have and, and the expertise that, that they're able to rely on. Um, and so you're just, you are, you're trying to sift through it and you're trying to, you know, figure out, okay, what is the best way forward for us? And, Hey, you know you're in a you're in a situation. Nobody's been through this before. It's very uncertain. Nobody knows any has any idea about how this is, this virus is going to react or move forward. And so, naturally, you're trying to be cautious, and you're and you and you, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and so, you try to make the decision with the best information you have available. Um, and I think there's certain philosophy that comes into play when you're trying to make these decisions as well. And and certainly. As a commissioner, you're not making the decisions yourself. You're trying to lead your conference through it, but you know your university presidents are—that's uh, your board. Those are your bosses, and so um, you're trying to provide them as much information and guidance as you can. And ultimately, it's their decision to make. And uh, and so, yeah, it was. It, w- it was really a challenge. And, and I, yeah, ideally, like to go back and say, hey, let's all you know do the same thing and be together. But in reality, I mean, that's it's just not college athletics and. Even though we have the NCAA as a membership organization and we do make rules uh, together, although it's not, certainly not always unanimous, um, that's, the, that's the challenge we have. Uh, there's, there's so many different uh, institutions, different missions, different you know, individuals and personalities. That it's, it is, it's a lot more Wild West than, than maybe you even think it is just because of the, the disparate um, the disparate institutions and uh, and levels that we're that we're dealing with uh, within the NCAA and and we're seeing you know some of that playing out in terms of our decision making process around name name image and likeness right now and, and where that's going to end up so um, so no not a surprise just given what I know and have lived in college athletics. We get criticized for the fact that it's a big bureaucracy and, and we have a tough time making decisions and moving forward, but that's just the reality of dealing with Division One, where you got 350 institutions and the NCAA as a whole with all divisions of over a thousand schools. So that's uh, that's that's a challenge that we uh, that we have to deal with. 
Yeah, you know, and, and navigating that challenge and trying to figure things out and name, image, and likeness and in the transfer uh, situation being a part of that, Kyle. And, and, and for you, uh, as a commissioner, trying to work through this and figure this out, uh, we have never had, and we talk about the wild, wild west with everything going on with the pandemic and making decisions as individual conferences and institutions within that. When you look at the transfer rule, this is even more of a wild, wild west. There, you know, the intra conference things going away in a lot of places, the ability to play right away and to really have free agency. I go here, I don't like this coach, I'm gone. I go here, this coach leaves, I'm gone. And being in these situations, or maybe, you know, I went to this school and I thought it was this and it wasn't going to be, or maybe my mom got sick and I want to be closer to home. So many different things going into it, but the transfer portal is very, very densely populated, The and there's issues within that because it is musical chairs, and if there's 890 spots and 1,000 people in there, somebody's not going to be able to find a school and not be able to play. So what are your thoughts as a commissioner on the transfer rule that has evolved and changed over the last couple of years and the fact of, of name, image, and likeness? Because you're trying to work through all of this stuff, and as we talked about, a pandemic coming in for a year and a half in the midst of all of the name, image, and likeness, and then really affecting the transfer rule, it's had an effect on taking away time from name, image, and likeness, and it's had an effect on really creating a change in the transfer rule. So uh, this pandemic is going to linger with, you know, what it's what it's kind of domino affected into happening in collegiate athletics, but how do we tackle this, and, and how do you tackle this as the big self? Well, I don't think we're doing ourselves any favors in a lot of ways here. Um, you know, if you're a fan of the traditional collegiate model, um, of the, um, the, the, the the demarcation between college athletics and, and professional athletics, then um, you have to be concerned about the direction we're going. Um, I, I hey, I understand student athlete uh, welfare and allowing student-athletes to do more, and certainly from an NIL perspective, I've always been a, a proponent of allowing some monetization around that. Um, but, um, you know, you mentioned just a couple of things there, and when you're asking the question, you talk about free agency, you talk about uh, commercialization and, and um, um, third-party endorsements around NIL, and isn't that a professional model? Uh, so, so we are we are moving that direction. And as an <laughs> as an old guy, I've been in this business a long time. I am more of a traditionalist, and I do have a lot of concerns. I mean, we, obviously, we've got to evolve and move forward, but I do have concerns that um, college athletics is becoming uh, you know a minor league in, in, in the profession. Professional athletics, and we're getting away from that tie to higher education, and the tie to uh, to the student athlete. Um, and again, I understand the criticism and the big money that's involved at the higher levels, but at the same time, I think there's it, it still is it still is different. So, so in transfer space, um, we have been opposed to liberalization of trans the transfer rules ever since you know. We've been talking about this since been the last ten years, really. Uh, and we actually had proposed alternate um, rules probably back five years ago of how you know we should be thinking about uh, transfer policies. Um, have not been in favor of the most recent action. Um, 
in uh, uh, in allowing um, student athletes in those five sports to be able to uh, be eligible immediately. Um, because even though there certainly are circumstances where student athletes have reasons to transfer and don't take that away from them at all, uh, I just think we're opening ourselves up to tampering and to, uh, to issues. Um, you know, you've seen that there are institutions that probably a lot of them now, especially at the higher levels, they've, they've got a recruiting coordinator for transfers, you know, so that, that their, their full-time job is identifying student athletes at other institutions and uh, recruiting them uh, to their institution. Now, they should be doing that in a legal way where they're in the, the transfer portal first before uh, there's any contact, but we all know that that is not always the case. And, um, and so we really... We really have concerns about that. Our institutions have done an amazing job uh, identifying talent, recruiting them, bringing them into their institutions, developing them, expending resources to help them achieve. And uh, you know, when they do achieve, then now they're 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 off. You know, of course, I'm primarily talking about the high visibility sports at this point, but, um, and so it's very difficult for institutions in the big South conference to be able to, um, maintain and develop consistently, um, uh, you know, high achieving teams in the sport of basketball, especially, but also football, um, now under the current transfer rules. Um, so, and, and, you know, we're, you know, we obviously are reacting and responding, and we're diving into the transfer area as well. We have to. That's kind of part of the scenario. But now you're even more so than ever before. You're going to have uh, uh, <laughs> one and dones uh, in a different way. One and done at your school, they're off someplace else. Yeah. Now, how many how many of our all freshman team players are going to stick around at their schools when they're being recruited by? by larger institutions. Uh, so I, I just, I'm, I'm not a big fan. Uh, you know, I, traditionally, you've, when you've seen the, um, the Cinderella stories in the NCAA basketball championships, uh, they're generally teams that have had student athletes that have been on that, in that program for a few years or upper class led. Um, those are the types of teams that have had some success um, in upsets in the NCAAs. You're going to see a lot less of that, I think, moving forward, uh, because you're not able to have to maintain and keep your student athletes in your program for a period of time. Yeah, you know, and, and that's and that's like you said, you know, obviously, what this is doing, uh, people have to look and I, and I always bring up the example of a toothpick when I tell people anything created in this world that's created for a positive purpose can be used in a negative way. A toothpick is to pick something out of your teeth. A toothpick is to grab an hors d'oeuvre. Well, you can also use a toothpick to poke somebody's eyes out. So it, it's, 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 it's the reality of once you open the door to something and once it's there, can you go back? You know, can, when, you tell, when you tell students now, student athletes now, hey, you can go wherever you want. There's no transfer restrictions. You can play immediately. You, you can't really take that back. And once you go into name, image, and likeness and start allowing players to make money, you can't go back from that either. So it, it's Correct. it's once it's out there, it's out there. And I think the thing I'm looking at, uh, speaking with, here with Kyle Kalander, the big South Conference commissioner on Wake Up Call with Dan Satori inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios this morning, 
what I'm concerned with is if this model doesn't work, if it has more negatives than positives, once it's there, it's it's stuck. And what do you do in that situation? Because with name, image, and likeness, the, the NIL discussion, the questions I've asked months ago were, okay, so for argument's sake, let's say, so you have you have your football schools, right? So let's say for argument's sake, let's say Campbell has two quarterbacks and the starting quarterback gets an endorsement from a dealership and the backup quarterback, you know, and the starting quarterback isn't playing that well. So the backup quarterback has to come in. Does that dealership come in and bang on your door and say, you know, does, does he, does he go to Campbell and say, Hey, you got to play the starter He's not injured, and I got to sell cars, and I gave him a one-year endorsement. I can't have the backup out there because I need this guy. I gave you know ten thousand dollars to to sell cars. What does it do when one running back gets an endorsement and another one doesn't? The dissension that creates in the locker room, and so I, I'm asking these questions because they're real questions because I'm a business owner and I deal with sponsorships and partnerships and all of that stuff every day. What happens when? companies want to get involved what happens when in, when they endorse the wrong player in their opinion so to speak what happens when players uh, want to get the ball because if they catch 10 passes their company that's endorsing them said that they'll put another 10,000 on top of it how do we navigate that and how does that not cause infighting in locker rooms and if players start looking out for themselves even more so then what happens to collegiate athletics and team athletics in general at that point? Uh, no question. There's a ton of, ton of questions around those kinds of issues. Um, you know, and, and if that car dealer is a booster, then um, you know, how is that allowed? Um, and is it fair market value for what that student athlete is receiving? Uh, and if that uh, car dealer is a member of the university board of directors that the president is reporting to, uh, what kind of pressure does that exert um, on, the, on the president and the institution and, and all those relationships? Um, what happens when a student athlete wants to go out and do his own shoe deal? Uh, and you know, what does that do to the ability for the institution to protect uh, their deals and their revenue generating opportunities, which, by the way, support all student athletes, um, but not just in football or basketball? Um, so, no, there's some there's some real issues and real concerns around that. You know, I, I have. You know, my support of name, image, and likeness kind of goes all the way up to the third-party endorsement, but really doesn't go there. Uh, the challenge becomes, can you allow somebody to benefit off of signing autographs, uh, but not allow them to, you know, to, to, to be involved in the endorsement space? And it gets even more murky when you start getting into social media. So there's some real challenges around where you draw the line, but... But I, I think the... I think we're well beyond that. Um, you know, we've embraced for uh, for good or for bad um, this opportunity for student athletes to monetize, but I think there's going to be some real issues and concerns. How much time do student athletes have to spend on this? I mean, it's really going to be interesting to see 
um, somebody really wants to wants to make some money and monetize their name, image, and likeness, how much time now are they spending on their social media identity and brand, you know, versus um, you know, what they should be doing, paying attention to uh, classwork, uh, versus what they should be paying attention to from an athletic standpoint. I, I, it's really going to be interesting to follow. Yeah, and it's it's definitely. Uh, going to uh, it seems like there's so many questions and so little answers right now and so hopefully we could sift through this thing together speaking here with Kyle Kalander here on the broadcast a wake-up call with Dan Satora big South conference commissioner and you are based in a city that is near and dear to my heart that I've gotten to know over the years and that uh, that beautiful city the Queen City of Charlotte North Carolina uh, speak with me about being based in Charlotte. You've been there with the conference, I believe, since 1996. So, you know, you've gotten to spend an, an ample amount of time uh, leading this conference and into the 21st century and beyond. So I, I, w- I would love to hear a little bit more about your story, Kyle, and kind of what brought you to the Big South and, and how you've evolved over time. But the first part is, is what do you think about the Queen City and uh, what it, what is your take on Charlotte, North Carolina? Because... I, uh, I get a little smile on my face when I think about it. I like discovering Charlotte. So what can you say about home base and, and what brought you to the Big South? Well, Charlotte's beautiful. We, we absolutely love it here. It's, um, it's a growing city like many cities in the South and the Southeast. Um, they just especially recently, I mean, it's just been unbelievable how, how quickly uh, the city has grown. It's a city that um, is not too big. You don't have a, a lot of the the traffic issue. I mean, there's some, but you're not Atlanta, you're not Washington, D.C., but I think you're right size in terms of uh, the city, what it offers, professional sports and collegiate sports and culture and, and everything else uh, right here. So it's, it's a it's a beautiful city. We love, we do have seasons. You know, you have a winter here and you have beautiful fall and spring. It's a little little sticky in the summer, but it's certainly uh, worth uh, worth. Uh, living through that, you're three hours to the beach. You can get up to DC or Atlanta easily, so it's it's it's, it's well situated, uh, and it's well situated right in the middle of our conference. Uh, the Big South Conference, uh, we like to say, is is built for the future. I mean, we are geographically compact. We have 12 full members that are in three states: Virginia, North and South Carolina. My longest trip to a a full member, I think, is five hours to Hampton, Virginia. Uh, so it's it's just you know it's a bus ride for everybody. You don't have to get on a plane. You're you're physically responsible. Uh, you build rivalries because it's easy to get from one place to another. So it's we really feel great about the conference and got North Carolina A&T coming in uh, this coming year for, as our 12th member, so we're excited about where we are. We're a little further spread out on the football side, out of necessity, with Monmouth up in New Jersey, which is, they've been awesome members, and obviously have been very successful, and then Kennesaw North Alabama, a little, a little further out, now Robert Morris is just coming in. So that's just kind of about our necessity to build out our football membership, but um, that, that's worked out very well as well. So so it's a, it's a great location, it's a great area, people love their college athletics down here and, and that's really benefited us well yeah you know and you, you talk about North Carolina A&T coming in as your 12th full member and congratulations on getting to 12 uh, what can you say about North Carolina A&T I mean obviously geographically it makes sense but beyond that what made them the right fit to expand your conference you know I didn't know a whole lot about North Carolina A&T before we started uh, talking about them as a as a prospective member in the conference, and I have just been continually impressed by 
their university, what they offer to their student body, um, their academic offerings. I mean, the, the engineering and, and the other programs, they're just, it's just so impressive. Their leadership is outstanding. Harold Martin, their chancellor, is just a top-rate guy and um, you know, really well-respected leader. Earl Hilton, their AD, has done an outstanding job. And, and even though they are not full members yet, they've been participating in everything we've been doing from an administrative side for the last year and, and just really impressed with them. Um, and just to talk about their athletics, um, they immediately make us better. Uh, you know, their their football is is nationally successful. Um, we're excited about them coming in. If you paid any attention at all to uh, track and field, you know what A and T brings to the table. They they are the only institution to finish in the team standing in the top four for both men and women in the NCAA outdoor track championships recently with. Uh, you know, uh, winners and, uh, you know, uh, one young woman student athlete um, doubled in the 100 and the 200, won both of those. They had a winner in the 400 meter and the 4 by 4 on the men's side. Um, so just, just outstanding basketball. I think the men's basketball was uh, won the regular season uh, up there. So it's just, um, there. I just can't say enough about how excited we are to have the Aggies come into the Big South Conference. And so when we look at that, and we look at your, you know, 12 uh, full-time institutional members at Campbell, Charleston, Southern, Gardner-Webb, Hampton, High Point, Longwood, Presbyterian, Radford, UNC, Asheville, uh, USC, Upstate, Winthrop, and now North Carolina A&T. When I read those names off, how do you define that? When you look at the full member schools and you hear, you know, those institutional names, what do you think of what's top of mind for you when you hear that? I think, you know, it's a group of institutions that even though we have a lot of diversity in this league between public, private, HBCU, uh, faith-based institutions, there are a group of institutions that really have generally kind of the same mission and same resource to put toward uh, their support of their student-athletes. Um, you know, they they want uh, – athletics is an important part of the university and the institution. Uh but not the most important part, obviously. Uh, and and from a resource standpoint, they're all pretty similar in how they support their programs. And so um, even though the institutional missions are a little bit different on the athletic side, it's very cohesive and, and very similar in terms of their approach and their support. And so it really makes for a very collegiate and collegial and competitive conference uh, on the athletic side. You know, and we look at the, you know, competition within your conference of those 12 member schools, then you add in uh, football schools, Kennesaw State, uh, Monmouth, North Alabama, and Robert Morris, and you just added here in this year uh, three more associate members for women's lacrosse in Furman, Mercer, and Wofford. So the Big South in of itself with 12 member schools, plus having Furman, Mercer, and Wofford come in to be a part as an associate, and then Kennesaw State, Monmouth, North Alabama, and Robert Morris to be associates. When you put all of this truly together, you have this beautiful array of 19 schools connected to you in some way, shape, or form. What does that do? Once we bring in the associate members, what does that say about the Big South? Well, it, it, it just shows that we're a, we're a place where you know institutions understand they have great opportunities for student athletes to compete and excel. And um, you know we, you know, there, there's a couple things about membership. You know, obviously when people talk about membership, they talk about expansion, which obviously all of us are 
are interested in and uh, and have been looking at, but it's also membership is also internal, you know. So you've got to have a place where people want to be, uh, and you got to yeah, it's got to have services and opportunities that people really enjoy being a part of. Uh, and so that's I think even more important because if you have, if you have a conference that people don't enjoy, don't enjoy the relationships, don't enjoy the opportunities, then they're not going to stick around very long. So yeah, I've really been pleased that we've been able to provide that to our members. We've been stable and successful with that moving forward and then we you know then we have opportunities you know for other institutions where they may not be full members but they may have a need for other sports and big south is a, is a is a home for them because they know that it's uh, it's going to be a place where they can be successful and, and be uh, and enjoy being a part of and, and being an association with like-minded institutions uh that also uh, want to be successful so I think it does say a lot about our membership uh, and our conference that uh, we've, we've been able to do that. That coming from Kyle Kalander, the Big South Conference Commissioner here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora this morning inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Kyle, before I let you go, uh, final uh, points here. One of them being, how, how do we look to the future, the strength of the conference as we move forward? What can you say about uh, as you move forward and what is your main focus? We've spoken on so many different topics what do you see coming, God willing, fully out of this pandemic? So where where are things with the Big South? What is kind of the vision and the mission? You know, annual meetings just went on recently here. So what is the focus at this point? Well, the focus is squarely on the student athlete. I mean, that's and that's, you know, of course, certainly everybody's focus is there. But, um, you know, I've kind of touched upon a little bit. Um, how can we best provide opportunities for our student athletes uh, moving forward? And you know, obviously, clearly the the geography is a part of that. As I mentioned, we're kind of built for the future in terms of our ability to keep costs down while provide you know outstanding competition. Uh, but it's also how, what are other ways that we can provide those opportunities for our student athletes? Obviously, their student athletes are interested in a lot of other things these days. And so, you know, by bringing in a Hampton and a North Carolina A&T, by bringing in HBCUs to the conference, that provides expo- experience, exposure, and opportunity, you know, for all of us to be in a more diverse world here within the conference, which I think is really valuable in terms of our understanding of other individuals and our experience with other individuals. And so I think that's really valuable. How can we make sure that um, we're providing their opportunity to be successful after they leave? Um, you know, certainly everybody wants to, you know, play as long as they can, but at some point you won't be. So how can we ensure that we are providing uh, experience and training so that they can be successful in life, which is really critical. Uh, so that's that's really got to be our focus. We got all these other issues that are that are out there, you know, that we're concerned about. I've expressed my concerns about NIL and transfers and and other issues and where college athletics is going. But when you boil it right down, it comes to we are serving our student athletes, and we have to provide them as college students and as college student athletes the opportunity to get a degree, get an education, uh, enjoy their time at their at their institutions as uh, college athletes, but ultimately be successful men and women in society. And so that's got to be our focus moving forward, and that's what we will do uh, as we look to the future. What keeps you around 1996 to now? Why stay the commissioner of the Big South? I mean, there's got, there has to be, you know, concrete some things that keep you around in this place. So what are they? 
Like, he keeps working. They haven't kicked me out yet. <laughs> as, long, as long as they will have me. Hey, you know what? There's only 32 of these jobs in the country. I mean, it's a pretty good gig. Uh, so I really, I, but I seriously, I, I've really enjoyed uh, our institutions uh, and the people we work with and work for. Our, uh, I, I, you know, I think occasionally you'll hear about, um, about some dysfunction in some places, some conferences and disagreements, and everybody has some of those and, and some of that. But but generally, uh, our people get along well. They pull together. They understand what we're trying to do as a conference, um, and that's really what what I enjoy is that um, we've been able to do that, be successful in that, and providing those those opportunities for student athletes by working all working together. And so, um, it's the people, it's who you're working with and working for, and uh, you feel like at least at, at a conference level, you have an opportunity to have some influence over some of these national uh, discussions and dialogues. Uh, and uh, and so that's what keeps me around and, and keeps me going. What's the difference since you've been a leader for so long, and like you said, they haven't kicked you out yet, what's the difference between a good leader and a great leader? Oh, boy, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think it boils down to your effectiveness, and, and I don't know, I'm not going to call myself a great leader, um, but, uh, you know, what I try to do uh, in this business, you know, you've got 12 institutions I've mentioned. They're all different, different personalities, different missions. Um, it's really important that you're building relationships across the conference, both between yourself and the institution, the president, the ED, and others, and amongst institutions. Um, you know, as as a, as a commissioner, as I mentioned, you're, I'm not making decisions. Our schools are. So I've got to be able to make sure, number one, I'm listening to the schools, what they need, what their, what their wants and needs are. Um, and then we are, we are providing them the guidance and the leadership to make smart decisions and try to build consensus around a lot of these critical issues. You know, certainly, first of all, it's, it's local and what we need to do to be successful moving forward. But then, of course, there's, it's national as well. And so I think it's, I think it's building trust and respect through those relationships uh, that you have amongst your institutions so that when it comes time, when you have these difficult decisions to make and we have challenges and controversies, you can work through those things and come out in the right place. You're not always going to agree on everything, but if there's that trust and respect that you build amongst your constituency, then you know that at least people will understand how and why we got to where we are, and hopefully are the right decisions, and hopefully uh, they they pay off to be successful. You mentioned HBCU, historically black colleges and universities, having that represented within the Big South. How important is that? How vital is that? And where are we in trying to create a more equal and more universally uh, appreciative and open world how 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 is the hbcu model working in today's world of collegiate athletics and what are we doing to create opportunities where the color of your skin is not making a decision on the content of your character yeah you know it's well number one hbcus play a critical role i mean i i have the ultimate respect for what they do and what they provide for their students uh and their communities um, you know, when, when we started recruiting, uh, Hampton, uh, and then NCAT to come in the big South, it really wasn't about 
being HBCUs. It wasn't about being diverse. It was about because we we really we really thought they were great institutions academically and athletically, and we had a lot of respect for their leadership and what they can do. Again, making the Big South better than we currently are. Um, I think the diversity factor uh, that they are HBCUs just brings a richness to the conference in terms of the experience that that we have, um, and uh, and that. Not only they can have as being a part of conference, but the rest of our institutions, or predominantly white institutions, can get from from the HBCU experience. I mean, I'm learning a whole lot about it. I, you know, I certainly am not somebody who knew much about HBCUs going into this, but I'm learning a whole much, a whole lot about it, a whole lot about what their uh, what that experience is, what the concerns and, uh, are, and and the the benefits are, and and so I think I'm a better person just to be able to understand that a little bit better now. Um, so I think they're, I think they are really important. I think they're great opportunities. I think they provide outstanding opportunities and experience. Um, and, um, and as Gene Marshall, the AD at, at Hampton said, when, when we announced they were coming in, I said, you know, we're, we're not, we're not giving up, up being an HBCU. I mean, they're, they will continue to be and are as is A&T. Uh, they're just have to have a different conference affiliation. So, uh, that experience is still there, and and we're all better because of it. Um, and uh, and that's, you know, on their part, it took a lot of courage to make the move, moving out of an HBCU conference uh, into the Big South. Um, but we honor and respect that history and heritage, and, and still continue to feel like it's, you know, it is a is a great experience and a great opportunity for the the students at those institutions. And you talk about that, you know, creating. That's uh, that that atmosphere and that culture and and welcoming and bringing it all together. So the Big South logo has evolved over time. I'm a big fan of it where it currently is. I'm liking it. I would rock a shirt with this on here. Just just telling you, Commissioner. So uh, what can what can <laughs> what can you tell me about uh, the the branding, which is ever so important. And uh, you know the this big South logo, which is simple yet very. I, I don't. I, to to me, I, I love it. I like what I like about it is I like you know the 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 circle with the big and then the S next to it. Then I also like you know the South with that big kind of being like the rising sun coming through it. I I, I mean I'm a person that cares very much about logo. I've rebranded and, and done stuff with mine as as I've shown with the sun coming out of the coffee cup for wake up call. So. Why this logo? What do you think about it? And uh, and how quickly can the mail get up here from Charlotte? <laughs> well, uh, I think it was about well, it was probably longer ago, five five years or so ago. We um, we decided we needed to launch a new rebranding effort, and you know, like I say, I've been here twenty five years, so we've been through a couple of these over time. Uh, but we just needed something that was distinctive was bold was um literally spoke to us uh so and the process was much more about just a new logo right i mean it was about who we are and what we're about we talked about do we want to continue to have the south in the name because some people feel like maybe that's a negative um do we so would you want a new name or or how do we want to do this and and as we went through the entire process and work with sme on this by the way uh, out of New York, um, you know, it was that was an important part of who we are. We are in the South, and and there was a lot of benefit to um, holding on to that brand and holding on to the pride that we have of where we are. 
And so, um, so that was kind of the first decision, but then it was, um, okay, how do we, how do we express that, uh, the best? And, and traditionally our logo has had a sun in it, at least initially it did. And we kind of tried to keep that emphasis graphically. And so that was kind of what you mentioned the O and, and how that represents that. But we also, they came up with these, these, um, this look that incorporated uh, the big into the, into the mark. And also on the secondary mark, you mentioned the big S, um, doesn't necessarily tell you exactly who we are just by looking at it. You don't know, but it raises the question. So you look at it and say, okay, what does that mean? Who is that? So I think it is distinctive and it, it sets us apart a little bit. So it's big, it's bold, there's meaning to it. Um, and, and along with that, we, we talked about messaging and, and uh, we came up with, uh, with the where winners are made uh, tagline, uh, which speaks to a number of different levels. So as a conference, you know, we're not the ACC, we're not the SEC, but we are a conference that develops student athletes, as I mentioned earlier, to, to be a winner, to be a winner in life, to be a winner in the classroom, to be a winner in the community, and certainly be a winner on the, on the field and the court. So it speaks to what we do and what we provide to our student athletes uh, and, and making them, them winners. Um, and uh, that's, that I think says it all. Awesome. And a, and a fantastic response to that. And a beautiful thing to show that there is so much more than just a redesign to make something look cool, that there's so much that goes into it. Kyle Kalander, the Big South Commissioner. And Kyle, a final moment here on Wake Up Call inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. I like to flip the script because you as a commissioner are always getting asked questions. You don't get to ask any questions. You never get to sit at the podium and turn it on the media and go, I have some thoughts. So... I'm going to let you do that on the show. We do a thing here called Rapid Fire. We've done it for a very long time. And what it is is it's a trio of questions. It can be about sports. It can be about literally anything. It can be about life. It doesn't have to have anything to do with sports. It's totally up to you. But you get to essentially run wake-up call for three questions. As a commissioner, you get to put me on the hot seat. So understand how nice I've been and be gentle. But with that being said... <laughs> I, I, I turn it to you because I like the fact of having a commissioner ask the questions since you always get asked them. Well, you didn't prepare me for this at all. <laughs> I so, did. That's uh, part of the rapid fire. Totally, That's part yeah, of it. Totally off the, totally off the top. So, yeah. so the first one you know, is obviously, you know, why doesn't the media do more, uh, more positive stories on the great things in college athletics? That's obviously the big frustration that we all have is – you know, it's, it's, it's how, how, you know, how poorly student athletes are treated or, you know, there are certain examples that come along here and there, you know, but, uh, but it's really, why can't we focus on the great things? And you've done a good job here in this interview, but, um, so it's more of a general question. Yeah. My answer to that would be, I can't speak for the rest of the media because I'm not like them at all. I, I always say that I'm a point one percenter in the media that 0.1% of the media tells the truth and cares about you, and the other 99.9 just are looking for a story and trying to get famous and trying to make money or whatever. And for me, it's it's not about that. My faith in God is first. Uh, the way that I handle myself and my morals and values is, is, is a focus. And so why doesn't the media do more positive things? I don't know, but I can tell you that I am here, and as long as God will allow me to be here, no matter what they do, I will always focus on the positive. Great. Second question. So, um, 
you've talked to, uh, reaching out to various commissioners, other conferences. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping to achieve through your discussions with commissioners in, your, in this series you're doing? I'm, I'm looking to uh, always bring people together. I love the question. Uh, I'm looking to bring people together and, and to show people that everyone deserves representation. I've reached out to all 32 of the conferences, and I look forward to working with all of them. I've done a lot of work over the years with the American and the ACC, and I've had the opportunity to speak with, uh, at this point, commissioners from all over the country, including yourself. I, I came up with the idea because I thought to myself, why just talk to one place? Why just connect with one place? I would love to be able to go to a big self you know, a sanctioned event. I would love to see teams play against each other in that. I'd love to, you know, when I come down to Charlotte and I'm supposed to be down there next month to, if I could make it work, to tour the office or see you and sit down. I do this because I challenge myself to get to know as many people as I can while I'm on this earth to bring people together and to show that everybody has a vision and a mission and there's not a single person that should be kept out of the discussion. So... I honestly, the short answer is I'm a big kid who just loves getting to know as many people as I can and tell their stories because I'm a storyteller. The deeper thing is I believe that you all deserve representation. Some of you have it and some of you don't. But through my show, if nowhere else, you will have representation because I believe you deserve it. And I don't believe anybody should have to work in the shadows. I believe that we should spotlight all of the commissioners and all of the leaders that are trying to do things God willing for the positive in this world. So I don't think I can cover collegiate athletics if I don't open myself to all of it. And I've I've done my my best to do that, and I continue to push myself to do better. And I just uh, I, I just to me I get excited at the opportunity to bring more people into my life, more people into my show, and tell more stories. So I'm never going to stop when it comes to reaching out and, and, and trying to meet new people and, and to tell new stories. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Okay, last question. Um, and this is a question actually I posed to my my, uh, my dinner table mates. We, I just right. got back from commissioner's meetings last night, uh, by the way. First, first meeting we've had in person, you know, for uh, almost two years. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a great opportunity to see everybody again. But um, so this is the question I asked. So what was the first baseball stadium you saw a major league baseball game in and what year was it? I, I love this question because I just I was talking about this because I did a, a Father's Day um, with someone near and dear to my heart that I call Papa Joe. Uh, we did a we did kind of the nation's pastime link back to Father's Day, and so I can tell you that uh, my dad is a big Yankee fan, and my and my dad had uh, never been to Yankee Stadium either the new Yankee Stadium or the old Yankee Stadium, and so I uh, had gotten tickets for my father, and we went in I believe it was 2013. And it was Mariano Rivera's last year. And I didn't even timeless time this on purpose, but I got us, we were at the fourth level. And the reason why I did it is I put us dead center home plate fourth level up. So from our seats, you could see literally the entire stadium. And I wanted him to get like that aerial shot of that. And it just so happened to be Jackie Robinson day 
Mariano Rivera's last season, put it all together. And so, you know, the last guy to wear number 42, and if here he is, and he's on the mound at some point in the game, and it's Jackie Robinson Day, and my dad's at Yankee Stadium. So uh, that's, you know, we got to experience that. I mean, that's one of those God is great things because I just planned out the tickets, and then I was like, oh, it's Jackie Robinson Day? Oh, Mariano Rivera? Oh, number 42. And and it it all just kind of uh, came together, and – we got to enjoy that. So uh, that, that, and that's the, that's the, that's something I did for my dad, but way, way back, my mom and my dad, my first ever game that I was brought to was a Toronto Blue Jays game when Joe Carter was playing in the Minnesota Twins. They beat him 11 to two and Joe Carter was insane. And the game wasn't even a game. Uh, the Blue Jays are just wreaking havoc. And that was at the old Sky Dome, which is now the Rogers Center. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. My first was 1969 in Six Stadium, wow. which if you're if you're a baseball fanatic, you might know that. Otherwise, you probably don't. <laughs> that was the Seattle Pilots' home uh, back in Seattle uh, back in the day. I have no idea who they were playing. Uh, I don't have a lot of memories from it, but uh, other than we were at this game and we were sitting in the outfield and. There was this home run ball coming at us, and I would had my took my cap off, and I was waving. I don't think it even came close to me, but it was, it was the one year the Seattle Pilots were were uh, in existence. That's awesome, the Seattle Pilots, and so definitely, I mean, my baseball fans that'll uh, bring them all in to this for sure. Nineteen sixty nine, once again. So, with that being yes. said, that's uh, that's that's a cool story because uh, you know that's that's something that really only the true purists would know of baseball. Kyle Kalander joining us here, Big South Conference Commissioner. Kyle, I know it's the first time you've been on the show, but I uh, appreciate it so very much. I, I had such a great time uh, and, and just really appreciate how, you know, what you brought to the table and, and how, you know, diverse our conversation has been and the layers you were willing to go to. So I would love to have you back. And uh, like I said, and I am a man of my word, I'm supposed to be coming down to Charlotte soon. So if we can find a way to, to link up there, but I, I would definitely love to have you back on the show. Well, thanks. I'd love to do it, and certainly love to get together, so let us know when you're coming down to Charlotte. All right. Well, take care. God bless, and have a good day. Thanks so much, Dan.